In episode 417 with Gary Zukav, we talk about how to live from a place of love instead of fear, how to shift into a deeper level of compassion and empathy for all, which I believe is something really needed right now. And he gives us a roadmap out of the divisive state we are currently living in. Plus, we dive into so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Guess what, my beautiful friend? My fourth book, Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy is out right now. Number one, New York Times bestselling author and social media sensation Jay Shetty said, never before has a book been more needed. Future generations will thank Melissa for shining a spotlight on comparisonitis. And multiple New York Times bestselling author Gabby Bernstein said, since Melissa refers to people who have recovered from comparisonitis as unicorns, I suppose that makes this a sort of unicorn training manual. I'm so grateful that such a manual has arrived. It's been infinitely helpful to me. Head to comparisonitis.com or Amazon to get your copy today. Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because not only is Gary one of Oprah's favorite spiritual gurus, he is a beautiful human who is dedicated to helping and serving others by giving us a roadmap back to love, compassion, kindness, and empathy. And for those of you that have never heard of Gary, he is the author of four consecutive New York Times bestselling books, including the legendary number one New York Times bestseller, The Seat of the Soul. This book led the way to seeing the alignment of the personality and the soul as the fulfillment of life and captured the imagination of millions. His books have sold six million copies and are published in 32 languages. Over and over, he challenges us to see the depths of our own potential in the world and act on that awareness. Gary's newest book, Universal Human, is about the new era of human evolution and offers a vision of what a world based on love could be and an invitation to begin bringing such a world into being right now, which is needed so much right now. He grew up in the Midwest, graduated from Harvard, and became a special forces officer with Vietnam service before writing his first book. His gentle presence, humor, and wisdom have endeared millions of viewers through his appearance on The Oprah Winfrey Show. Gary gives talks and facilitates programs on authentic power with his spiritual partner, Linda. Head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 417 for the show notes. Now let's dive in. Gary, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Of course. I had a protein smoothie with blueberries and some maca supplement. And in addition to that, I had some quinoa, gluten-free bread, which I put in a toaster, and it was delicious. And Linda, my spiritual partner, prepared some gluten-free, steel-cut oatmeal, which is delicious, but I simply didn't have space for that or the fresh strawberries that she cut. So I ate as much of it as I pleased and then began the day. What did you have for breakfast? Well, firstly, that sounds amazing and sounds like you two are very health conscious and you take care of your temple, which is amazing. And I had a protein smoothie with wild blueberries and banana and raspberries and strawberries, and it was delicious. Yes, that's, that's what we do too, except we're on, we're on a diet, so we don't have a few things like bananas. But we don't eat any dairy, 
gluten, sugar, and of course we don't have any alcohol or drugs or nicotine or tobacco, and we walk up a steep hill about a mile every day. And I begin after breakfast with some yoga and some stretches and some push-ups, and then we get together and sometimes we meditate just to be together. And then we go on our different ways because we're creating an entirely new ecosystem to support people in creating authentic power around the world. So we have a new website. We're developing four new online courses on emotional awareness and multisensory perception and intuition and spiritual partnership. And we are also creating a new social media outreach. The one we have now has got some beautiful little things, but we want to make it very personal and connect with people. And I'm creating a podcast, as I mentioned to you, called the Universal Pod Human Podcast. And the Universal Human book has been published here in the United States last month. I can't tell you when it'll be in Australia, but it's in English, so probably your listeners can get it from Amazon. And I hope you'll let me know what it is, because it's not the book that I'm the reason, that is the reason for my wanting to be on your show. You are the reason. I've done a little research about you and family <laughs> and your beautiful husband. And I just wanted to meet you and, and to support you and to share what I can with you. Thank you. You're welcome. And the larger reason is, in my experience, we are in the midst of an epic, unprecedented transformation to human consciousness. And that's what I love to share. This is without, it's never happened before. And it's happening fast. From an evolutionary point of view, it's happening faster than a heartbeat, than an eye blink. Over a f the course of a few human generations, we're all going to have this new consciousness. And that's after 300,000 years of the evolution of human consciousness. So that's how fast it's happening. It's faster than that sound. And we now are standing with one foot in one world and one foot in the other, the old consciousness and the new consciousness. And everything that I and I and Linda do is to help people recognize the new consciousness in themselves so that they can begin to use it with awareness and constructively and see the full power of it. Because with this new consciousness comes a new experience and understanding of power, power as the alignment of the personality with the soul, which means with harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. And I know, Melissa, from what I know of you, that you are, and your husband, and I suspect even Bambi, are very much aligned with this new consciousness and all that it's bringing into being. And Universal Human is about yet another potential that's appearing, even as we make a huge transformation from five sensory, which means our awareness and our experience is limited to the five sense. So this is what I thought would be a delight to speak with you about and what's happening with you and your family in Australia and to support people in every way that we can in creating authentic power, the new power, alignment of the personality with the soul. This sounds so beautiful. So alignment with the personality with the soul. Now more than ever, like you said, it's calling us to rise. It's calling us to wake up. What do you think will happen if we don't, if we just continue to ignore this calling? We won't change. But it's not a we. When it comes to spiritual growth, in my experience, it's an I. What will happen if you don't follow what your heart tells you, what you feel are the gifts, are giving the gifts that you have to give? What happens to me if I don't? I don't change. So that means that I would still be in the control of parts of my personality that originate in fear, such as anger or resentment or jealousy or rage or superiority or inferiority. And whenever I act on any of those parts of my personality, put it that way, that originate in fear, I create destructive and painful consequences. And when I act on loving parts of my personality that I experience as gratitude, appreciation, caring, patience, contentment, and awe of the universe, 
I create constructive and blissful experiences. So creating the power that we now need to create in order to evolve, that I need to create to evolve and you need to create to evolve, requires distinguishing between these parts of our personalities, which means, in effect, distinguishing between love and fear in ourselves and choosing love all the time, no matter what's happening inside or what's happening outside. And that's how to create authentic power. Because as you do that again and again and again, you begin to move beyond the control of the frightened parts of your personality. And that's when passion enters your life. Mm, Beautiful. It really is, when you distill it down like that, it really is quite simple. You've got one of two choices, love or fear, in every moment. It's not like we have 52, we have two. And in every moment, we're either making a choice from love or we're making a choice from fear, from who we choose to surround ourselves with, the work that we do, what we put in our mouth, the type of experiences we have. Everything comes back to, am I doing this out of love or am I doing this out of fear? And I would love to hear, how can we help people distinguish when something is done out of fear. So I know for me personally, when I'm doing it out of fear, because that inner mean girl, I call that the ego, the the inner critic, the inner mean girl, that voice says things like, oh, you should go to that event because if you don't go, they're going to not like you anymore. That's a decision out of fear, right? As opposed to just going because my soul wants to be in that room with those beautiful people. So I know with me, for me, when I'm doing something out of fear, there's that internal dialogue that says, you should do this otherwise, or you should do this or. So how can we help people distinguish when they're doing something out of love and when they're doing something out of fear? And how can we help them move more toward love? Well, that's what we're doing now. And You're exactly right. I'm going to tell everyone I know in Australia to come to your events if you're giving them there. I wish you were giving them in the United States because we're really quite aligned. And I think there are hundreds of millions of us that are. And I'm addressing, and you're addressing, those people. Now, I'm not addressing individuals who are still five sensory because they don't have any experience with which to hook on to what we're saying. Now, this is not to say that those of us who are multisensory are in any way superior to those of us who are still five sensory. It's still uh, it, it's, it's just a temporary flow in the uh, in in evolution. But those of us that are multisensory are not better. We're less limited. We're less limited because our perception has expanded beyond the five senses, and we're less limited because we are able to develop emotional awareness, because we're able to see ourselves or sense ourselves as more than bodies and minds. And the world is more than random and meaningless, but is meaningful, symbolic. We're able to see ourselves as souls as well as personalities. We're able to recognize an immortal aspect of ourselves. So we have a dual identity. And moment by moment, we're presented these choices. And they're always, say that we're in an earth school, a learning environment of time and space and matter and duality. In this school, everything has an opposite. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. And if we are going to change the world, we must contribute to it something that it doesn't have now. The world that we've inherited from five-century humans is built on external power, the ability to manipulate and control. It's everywhere we see, except in ourselves, because we are becoming multi-sensory, which allows us to create authentic power, which allows us to distinguish within ourselves the old consciousness from the new, fear from love. So if we want to change the world that we've inherited, which is built on external power, we can't do it by pursuing external power. That only puts into the world more of what the world is already made of. What we can do is put into the world something new, and that is authentic power. This is another way of saying that in order to change the world, it's necessary to change yourself. Now, 
People think that Gandhi first said that, be the change. In my understanding, he didn't, but he said something close enough to it that that was the meaning. But most people don't understand how they can do that, much less how intimately and powerfully we are each involved in changing the world. The Lakota culture in this country, which I was adopted into maybe 10 10 or 20 years ago, says that the center of the universe is everywhere. And it is. If the center of the universe is everywhere, it's in you. And the only way you can change the world, because you are in the world, is to change what you're giving to the world. So it doesn't matter how many podcasts I give or how many books I write. If I say, change yourself, get with the program right now, we don't have much time, there's a world that's in peril, and you are in peril, that's not going to do any good. The only thing that's going to do any good is for me to begin to be aware and experience others as personalities like myself that, like me, have frightened and loving parts of themselves. And when the frightened parts are active, they're in pain. So instead of judging them and saying, he's rude, he's it's an avaricious banker, it's a brutal, it's a brutal and uncaring brute, that doesn't contribute anything constructive in any way to the world, to the other person, or to me. But if I experience fully in myself a frightened part of my personality that says, how can he speak to me that way? And talk about being a brute. Look at yourself. Don't look at me and on and on. That is a conflict. That's a power struggle. Power struggles can only be for external power, the old kind of power. And when I have the ability, when I have developed enough emotional awareness to look inside myself when a frightened part of my personality is active and experience it in terms of physical sensations in my body, in my throat, for example, in my chest, in my solar plexus. These are chakras, as you know, and there's seven of them in total. And when you can turn your attention inward and say, as you're feeling rage or resentment or jealousy, oh, I'm feeling pain in my chest area. But it's not just I'm feeling bad or good or bubbly or down. Specifically, I feel a sharp, stabbing pain on the upper right quadrant of my chest. I feel a constriction in my throat that's painful. It feels like it's about the size of a golf ball. I feel my stomach is churning and burning and queasy. Now you're speaking literally. Now you have emotional literacy. People who don't even know they have emotions, except when they're angry or something that they can't ignore, are emotionally ignorant. People who can only say, I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm happy or I'm blue, they're emotionally illiterate. But when you can say, I feel these specific physical sensations in my body, then you are emotionally literate. And when you can do that, you've done a lot. You've created a gap by looking inward between the impulse and the action. And in that gap, you can make a conscious choice. That's exactly what you don't do when you act on the impulse. And in that gap, when you make a choice, then you call upon the second tool of creating authentic power. The first is emotional awareness. The second is responsible choice. You choose, what am I going to do? Am I going to respond with love or react with fear? Even while this frightened part of my personality is raging, I know anger well. I lived it for a large part of my life. I even used to be proud of it. I would tell people, yeah, I'm angry. I've always been angry. I always will be angry. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I didn't care. And I didn't realize, Melissa, what I was creating. I pushed people away. I intimidated them. They couldn't be vulnerable around me. They wouldn't. They wouldn't open to me. And so I was isolating myself. And the more isolated I became, the angrier I became. This is an unconscious life. And most people are living unconscious lives. Anger might not be their most difficult, frightened part of their their personality. It might be jealousy or resentment or righteousness. These are all experiences of fear. But when I can experience that and choose to respond in the moment that this magnetic, powerful part of my personality is demanding that I lash out with my words or when I was younger with my fist, then I'm developing some mastery. And I'm saying this in the first person because that's the only way to say it. Now I'll say it 
in the second person. When you do that, you are speaking to our listeners now and our watchers, our viewers. You are creating authentic power. And there's no other way to do it. And as you do it again and again and again, you begin to move beyond the control of this frightened part of your personality. And as you do, you enter realms of experience that can't be described until you create them. And this is how you create them, with emotional awareness and responsible choice. When you feel frightened parts of your personality emerge and demand action and expression, and you feel it fully, I never suggest repressing, suppressing, or denying an emotion, but to feel it as fully as you can. And when you look at the thoughts, by the way, those are the mean girl thoughts. They're always comparative, judgmental. Oh, she's so stupid. Oh, I'm so stupid. They're painful, painful thoughts. And you don't act on them because you are challenging this part of your personality. You're not doing combat with it. You're not at war with it. You're simply recognizing it and realizing that you are no longer going to be controlled by it, starting right now. And the first time I did this, all I could do, you know, when you're an insecure male, it's so easy. I mean, I know those ways. When you're an insecure female, there's a lot of ways to trigger frightened parts too. But all another male has to do is say, ooh, you a chicken? Chicken little girl? Chicken, chicken, chicken? Wow, his rage just roars up. I'll show you chicken. One of us is going to the hospital right now. That's an unconscious reaction. But to be able to experience that and not act on it. And the first time, all I could do was just clench my jaw and clench my fist and determine not to act or not to speak even in anger. But Melissa, when I did that, I put myself in another world and I couldn't see that at the time. When I was angry, I drew to myself because of the law of attraction, which is not getting a Lamborghini because you want it. It is simply understanding that energy attracts like energy. And in the first instance, I was drawing to me individuals like me who were controlled by their anger and didn't care. And in the second instance, even though it looked like I was making no progress, I was still seething with rage, I was attracting another kind of energy, the energy of people who were also seething with rage and anger and determined not to act on it. My world changed, and it's been changing since. If you want to see a loving world, become more loving yourself. Five sensory humans say, I'll believe it when I see it. Multi-sensory humans know, I'll see it when I believe it. If you believe the world is dog-eat-dog, brutal, and vicious, that's the world you're living in. And if you believe the world is loving, gracious, and kind, that's what you're living in. You know, I, I heard a story once about a couple a young couple that uh, were visiting Vermont in foliage. And it's a beautiful state here. In the fall, the colors are beyond description, beyond gorgeous. And they saw this old man who was rocking on his front porch, and they, they decided to stop and come up to him and because they, wanted, they were thinking about moving to this town. And they said, what are the people like here? And the old man said, what are the people like where you live? And they said, well, they keep to themselves. They're not too friendly. It's, uh, they don't care really too much for others. And the old man said, well, people here are like that too. And then two weeks later, another couple came to the same little house with the same old man and asked him the same question. What are people like here? And the old man said, what are people like where you live? And they said, oh, they're kind. They're open. They're generous. They care for one another. They're supportive. They're beautiful. And the old man said, people here are much like that too. He knew the law of attraction. And now everyone listening knows the law of attraction. Now do you have the commitment and the courage to create, to begin to create authentic power so that you can use the law of attraction to bring into being a world that you want to see? And by the way, your decisions do not really to act in anger or not to act in anger, change your experiences of the world. The world is the world. The earth exists with or without humankind. The decisions that you make on your journey, on your journey to the soul, 
on your path to love, change your experiences, and you are answering with each decision of love or fear. The question, how will I learn wisdom through fear and doubt or through love and trust? And as you make that decision, your experiences change, and that changes every collective in which you participate, from your family to your community, to your town, to your city, to your country, to your nation, to your gender, to your ethnic group, and then to the world. But the connection between you and the world is closer than that. If we're on video and your viewers can see what I'm doing, it's closer than this. It's closer than this. You are the world. This is something that five sensory humans cannot grasp and the intellect considers ridiculous or solipsistic or narcissistic. But five sensory humans begin to see the extent of their creative capacity and how responsible they are for how they use it. Because as you become multisensory, eventually you begin to see yourself as what you are, a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. And the pain that you experience in your life is a measure of the distance between your self-image and that reality. Well, I've spoken a lot, Melissa. Um, do you have any <laughs> questions something you'd like to share? I am just soaking up every word that you say, and I love so many of the points. That, I love everything that you've said, but there's a couple of really big things that stand out to me. And the biggest one being, you know, it comes back to taking responsibility for how we're showing up. You say, and, and I say this as well, is like, you're not here by mistake. There's no accidents. You are here because you matter. And we all have a part to play in this world. But I would love to hear, with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of, I find even when you catch up with people or you bump into people in the street, we're currently in lockdown right now, but you bump into people in the street and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of negativity. How can we rise above that with what's going on in the world right now so that we are not contributing to more of that fear and, you know, we're creating love? Well, it's not, in my experience, we rising above. It's I going into the world, into what I'm feeling, into what's happening, into the pandemic, into climate change. The wildfires in Australia are happening here this year. The west coast of the United States is burning, and there's so much smoke in the air that people on the east coast are seeing it in their skies. And in the winter, hurricanes come, and they're slower and wetter and more destructive and more deadly. It doesn't help to try to shut out the world, the polarization, the divisiveness, the judgment. Each encounter that I have with the world gives me and demands of me that I choose either love or fear, that I create with love or I create with fear. And those two intentions are significant because an intention, as you probably know, is a quality of consciousness that infuses a deed or an act or a word. And when that quality of consciousness is love, it creates very different experiences than when that quality of consciousness is fear. So when I see the fear around me, it reminds me of how much I can see. It doesn't remind me of anything. I can see it. I can see how much fear there is in the world. And everyone, and the pandemic with its lockdowns and its mandated pause in our mindless living has given us a chance to look at ourselves and others and how much we value others, not for what they can do for us, but because we just are people and we miss them and we want to be with them. And so we realize how much we are a part of one another, but we can't express that physically, so we have to come to terms with it and the reality of it inwardly, which transforms ourselves. I think you'll like Universal Human, the book. It's got four chapters in it on the coronavirus 
the coronavirus miracle. Why? The coronavirus miracle. The pandemic. The coronavirus miracle. The protest. The coronavirus miracle. The symbol. Because the coronavirus pandemic is going to be seen as a turning point in human behavior and evolution. And it's not going to go away quickly. But it's not the turning point. The turning point went virtually unnoticed as we, as a species, crossed a threshold from the old consciousness of five-sensory perception and power as manipulation and control and into the new consciousness of multi-sensory perception and power as alignment of the personality with the soul, with the immortal aspect of ourselves. The turning point starts with us. Yes. The turning point isn't with our species. It's with you. It's with me. Will I challenge fear and cultivate love? Will I contribute love or will I contribute fear? And that is always the question. It's always been the question, but we haven't recognized it when we were five sensory. Now that we're multi-sensory, we don't try to cover the pain. You know, all the, let me put it this way. I've talked about frightened parts of personalities, or frightened parts of mind. All frightened parts of all personalities have the same origin. Every human has within him or her a deep, painful fear. It's, yeah, the pain of powerlessness. We all have it. Five-sensory humans, multi-sensory humans. It, it's the pain of not wanting anyone to see you the way you are inside, the way you see yourself, because they wouldn't want anything to do with you. It's the pain of feeling defective, inherently defective, intrinsically flawed. It's the pain of a not belonging and needing to belong very much. It's excruciating. When we were five sensory, we tried to cover that pain by changing the world. If the person we thought we'd live with for eternity says, I don't love you anymore, we try to find someone else. If a child becomes ill, we try to get the child well. If a business fails, we try to build another. That's pursuing external power. And it doesn't change anything. Because the world does not cause your emotions, painful or blissful. It activates interior dynamics in you. And those interior dynamics create your emotional experiences. So you could say uh, your favorite pet dies or gets hit by a car and dies, and you feel grief and loss. It's not the driver of that car. It's not the pet that caused your pain that you're calling grief and loss. It's the universe showing you a part of your personality that you need to recognize and move beyond in order to give the gifts you were born to give. Because the origin of that grief and pain, physical pain, is in you, not in the world. That's an illusion. That's why pursuing external power no longer works. It produces only violence and destruction. You will never find fulfillment. By the way, I, I want to say something, and I, I hope I forgot to say this at the beginning of our talk because I enjoyed our our talk so much, but I am asking you and all of the people who are listening to us and seeing us, I suggest that you do not believe anything that I say or take it as true because I say it. On the contrary, if you resonate with anything I say, I suggest that you try it out. See if it works for you. And if it does, experiment some more. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. And I would also suggest that you do not believe or take as true anything that anyone says just because they have a television show or a book or they're wealthy or they're brilliant or they're beautiful or they're an athlete or they're someone you admire and feel superior to or inferior. Don't. Creating authentic power is becoming the authority in your own life. And you can start that now. And that means moving beyond the control of your fear. Your fear generates those parts of your personality that mask the pain of powerlessness by trying to change the world. And uh, it can work temporarily. For example, if you need a new partner and you get a new partner, suddenly you go up to the top of a roller coaster. But then if she leaves because she says, you know, you're not really what I'm looking for. And then you free fall down into fear again. 
So the best you can get from pursuing external power is temporary happiness. But creating authentic power brings you, brings into you, you bring into you something very different, and that's joy. Joy originates in you. Joy is independent of the external world. So as you create authentic power, you move toward your own evolution, and you contribute to the evolution of your soul, and you change the world, and all of that happens at the same time. It is you. I do hope that I, I hope that you all enjoy Universal Human. It's about creating authentic power, everything and more that I've said. It's about our social structures that are disintegrating, and they're all disintegrating. And by the way, I don't mean that, that they need to be fixed. They have no salvage value, not because they're broken, but because they're obsolete. They were built by a five-sensory species pursuing external power. They're built on, for, and by external power. And that now produces only violence and destruction. So all of our social structures, whether it's commerce, education, health, even science, the military, jurisprudence, they're all collapsing. They're all tumbling down. And new social structures of the soul are beginning to emerge like grass growing through cracks in concrete. And the new social structures of the soul are emerging from authentically powerful humans. Also, universal humans, and there are none now, it's only a potential, but there will come a time when the first universal human will appear. That's our new potential. In the meantime, how do we become a universal human? Ah, that is what we've been talking about. First of all, you create authentic power. And to do that, you become emotionally aware, practice responsible choice, recognize that you are more than a body and a mind. You are an immortal being, presence, and act that way. Challenge the frightened parts, cultivate the loving parts of your personality. Then you move yourself. You create authentic power. And as you do, you turn yourself in the direction of the universal human. Now, the universal human is authentically powerful. And the universal human, I feel like those people that are embodying that are so fun to be around. They're so fun. You know, those people are the people you're drawn to. They're like magnets. You want to be around those people. Yes, indeed. And those also are people who are authentically powerful or are responding from love instead of reacting with fear. Now, in my experience, there are no universal humans now, but there are emerging universal humans. The book is dedicated to them, and the Universal Human podcast is dedicated to them. Not only is a universal human uh, authentically powerful, it's a human that's beyond culture, beyond nation, beyond religion, beyond ethnic group, beyond gender. A human whose allegiance is to life first and everything else second. For example, if I were a, a universal human, and I'm not, but I'm an emerging universal human, but if I were, I would say, I am a universal human first and white second. I'm a universal human first and a male second. I am a universal human first and an American second. I am a universal human first and a grandfather second. I am a universal human first, and everything else second. No matter what it is that I have or desire, that's second. Life, with a capital L, that's first. That's what we know now of a universal human. And our evolution is moving so quickly, Melissa, that even as we make this epic, unprecedented transformation from five-century perception and power as manipulation and control into multi-sensory perception and power as alignment of personality with soul, even while we are moving from this first to the second stage of our evolution, the energy of our third stage is already appearing. But it's appearing like a premonition, like a, like a, let me put it this way. I have been awake in the early morning when the sky was pitch black, just white sparkling stars and pitch black. And at that time, if you're awake at that time too, you can feel it. You can feel something 
You can feel it coming, and it's big. That's the dawn. There's not a glimmer of light, not a trace of light in the sky, just a premonition, a little disturbance or presence that you can feel. And then later comes the first glimpse of light. Well, we as a species are looking at the universal human like you and I, if we were on a mountain before dawn and there's no light, but the dawn is coming and we can feel it. That's the universal human now. That's our next stage in human evolution. All of that is happening now. There's never been a time like now. Now is the time that is the most amazing. It's not as though we're on the ground floor of all of this. We are the ground floor. Now what are we going to do? And I can see what you're doing. You're creating this beautiful podcast in which you talk about these very things. And I enjoy them so much. I hope that you'll be on my podcast sometime. I would love that so much. I could listen to you for hours and we will definitely link to your books, your podcast and everything in the show notes. But I would love to hear now, what is your definition of success? And what do you attribute your success to? Because I believe everyone has a different definition of success. So what's your definition? My definition of success is being able to respond with love when I feel fear erupting in me. What more success could I ever ask for, pray for, strive for? Because it's only then that I can begin to give to the world instead of take from it. And even if I can only do it once a month, that's the start. Exactly. And then it might become twice a month and three times a month. The more we practice it, in those moments, that's my intention. Yeah, in in those moments of pure rage or anger or whatever, when we choose love instead, it's a muscle, and the more you practice it, the stronger it gets. So that's a beautiful definition. I would love to hear what's bringing you the most joy in your life right now. Just what we're talking about, Melissa. You know, I spent most of my life taking uh, until I, when I was in my mid twenties in San Francisco. I was angry volatile. My whole life was motorcycles, women, drugs. And I thought I was really admirable. I didn't see how much pain I was in. There's a street name for this, macho. Macho is being so frightened that you can't acknowledge that you're frightened. So I joined the American Army. I became a Green Beret. I went to Vietnam. I did things that took courage, the old kind of courage. Courage I did dangerous things to impress people so they admire me and want to be with me. But to create authentic power requires the new use of courage. When Linda and I, my spiritual partner, and by the way, spiritual partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth is not necessarily a couple's dynamic or a marriage partner dynamic. It can happen in your biological family. It can happen at school. It can happen at work. When Linda Francis, my spiritual partner, when I get in a power struggle, because it's only I can get into one. I mean, she might get into one, but I'm responsible for me getting into one. And I have never experienced anything that requires more courage and the new use of it than not having the last word, than letting it be, than recognizing that my beloved is in a frightened part of her personality, which means she's in pain, at least as much as I am, because I'm in it with her. and choosing not to speak longer, not to contribute my righteousness or need to change the world to the world, but to contribute in that moment something, the best, a loving part of my personality that's the most I can access in that moment, whether it's gratitude or appreciation or patience or contentment, and act from there. That brings me joy. That's success. The universe doesn't look at the world in terms of success and failure. It looks at the world in terms of, well, several ways. Cause and effect. What you cause creates effect. Every cause has an effect, and every effect has a cause. The cause, you are, the cause of effects you are choosing each moment. The cause that you choose is the intention with which you speak or act. Love or fear. That is the cause. And you are always choosing it. 
If you're not aware of it, you're choosing it unconsciously and you're creating a painful life. Becoming multisensory does not make you more patient or content, it makes you more aware. And as you become more aware, you do not become a more powerful creator than you were when you were unconscious. You are a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. That means that when you were creating unconsciously as I was all this time in my life, I was creating as powerfully as I am now, but without awareness. And I look at what I was creating, and it surrounds me all the time and each time. In other words, this is another way of saying that as you become multisensory, eventually you see that every experience is a karmic necessity. So why waste your time trying to change the world? Instead, look at what's in you that created this experience and challenge it so that you won't create it again. Because if you don't challenge it and you're not aware of it, you will. And how many times can you do that? Many. How many is many? Well, a lifetime. Really, a whole lifetime? No, many lifetimes. How many is many lifetimes? How many times have you been rude or abused someone or used someone or been disrespectful or brutal? or avaricious, or all the things that you judge now in the world. Well, as one monk once told me about himself, as many grains of sand as there are in Arizona, which is all desert, mm. or in the back country of the dry, deserty parts of Australia. So that's how many karmic consequences we're encountering. What can you do about it? You can't change your karma. But as you become aware of it, you step off this treadmill, this circular pattern. The Buddhists, by the way, call this samsara, the wheel of life and death. And it's always turning, lifetime after lifetime, scores of lifetimes, tens of lifetimes, millions of lifetimes, and they're not past lifetimes. Well, we're getting a little off track now. We're actually getting on track, but I want to stay as practical as I can. If you want to change the world, oh, go to our website, seatofthesoul.com, S-E-A-T, like what you sit on, of the S-O-U-L.com, and download the Authentic Power Guidelines. They're free. A lot of these things on it are free. And the guidelines, by the way, have different, they're courage, compassion, commitment, courage, compassion, and conscious communications and actions. When you have the ability to follow those guidelines, then you begin to become less and less and less limited. And the causes you choose consciously to participate are now generated by love instead of fear. And the consequences you encounter are the consequences of love instead of fear. And you have done something huge. You have changed your karma. Karma doesn't stop. Karma is an impersonal teacher of responsibility. It's the universal law of cause and effect, and it doesn't stop. It's a message delivery system. Every time you choose an intention, think of it this way. You are sending a message out into the universe. That's even bigger than the cryptosphere, than the cryptosphere. <laughs> it's bigger than the net. It's bigger than anything you can imagine. And on that envelope, it's, that envelope is always addressed, return to sender. And that message will come back to you like a laser-guided boomerang. There's no boomerang like that in the outback, not that's guided by laser. No matter where you go, it will find you. No matter what you do, it will find you. Even if you die, it will find you. That's how powerful a creator you are. Now, what are you going to create? I love our conversation, Melissa. Thank you for allowing me to have it with you and to share it with the people who love you in Australia and the people you love. Oh, thank you. I've got a couple more rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Now, besides your books, pretend they're already in the curriculum. What is one other book you would choose? There's no book that's that big. I think Seat of the Soul, which is a book that I participated in writing would be a good one. But as you said, that's already in the curriculum. 
So there's no single book. Now, if you're willing to venture into this territory with your eyes open and your mind open, I would suggest that you look at maybe the great books that have come out of our great religions. But here, be careful, because I have, in my experience, found that religious organizations have at their core a universal truth around which they form and have formed as an incrustation, just as a grain of sand in an oyster is encrusted because it's an irritant to the oyster. And the, a universal truth is something that an authentically powerful, a universal human has put into a five-sensory culture, and that culture has encrusted it. And what it encrusted it with is an organization, an institution, which is called a religion. And religions pursue external power. They compete. They're out for more, more congregants, more money from the congregants, more missionaries going out to change people. So that's why I say you can look at books like the Bible, like the Bhagavad Gita, the Koran, but all of those are books that were produced by an incrustation around a universal truth. So you must keep your eyes and your heart open and find the universal truth, the universal truth that is open, wide open, includes all, bars none, judges none, accepts none, honors and is and celebrates life and nothing but life. If you look far enough, you'll see them in the universal truths that are embedded in our religions. But even those books I don't recommend because none of the great teachers around which our religions sprang up wrote. I don't even know if they were literate. And not only that, no one was alive for centuries until they started bringing together what individuals, say, 200 years after Christ, began to assemble, and they became Gospels. What about the Old Testament? I don't think Abraham wrote. I don't think anyone did. What I'm saying is that all of these universal truths, like love, like enlight, like the truths of enlightenment, they're in you. So rather than looking for a book, we spent all this time with me trying to figure out a book. No, don't do that. Look in you. Create authentic power. Find what's valuable to you. Yes, thank you for helping me see this, Melissa. You're not going to find it in a book, not even my books. Look inside you. That's where the wisdom is. That's where the heart is. And the heart is on the only way you're going to get to the wisdom. Forget the intellect. That doesn't work anymore. It works in a limited sphere. The intellect is a partner. It's designed to work with the five senses. As you become multi-sensory, you begin to experience the higher order logic and understanding of the heart. And that will allow you to communicate to yourself and to others and to understand multi-sensory perception and life as we can understand it in fuller and fuller ways. Beautiful. I love it. Go within. That's where all the wisdom and the answers are. Okay. Three little rapid fire questions for you. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Create authentic power. Five sensory humans think that when they have an emergency, a health emergency, like a heart attack and a myocardial infarction or a broken leg, they rush their bodies uh, to a hospital, to an ER, with wailing sirens and flashing lights. But from the multi sensory perspective, by the time any physical dysfunction, appears in the earth school, it's already acute. That means that the only, you might say, preventative health measures you can take are creating authentic power. The cause of all physical illness is not physical. The physical illnesses are correlates. The cause of all aging, of all physical dysfunction, is negativity. And you cannot change negativity in the world. You can only change it in you. And that's what I've been sharing as well as it comes to me by creating authentic power. 
by recognizing the difference between love and fear in yourself, having the commitment, the courage, the compassion, and the conscious communications and actions, and challenging the fear, cultivating the love, even while the fear is demanding that you act in fear. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all the areas of our life? That's not necessary. I would suggest you not even think in those terms. For example, when you realize or even entertain the idea that every experience is a karmic necessity, then what is needed? Nothing. What is lacking? Nothing. What is appropriate? Everything. Abundance is a five century. It abundance, the idea of abundance originates in fear. It comes from a frightened part of your personality. Abundance. That means more than you need for most people. It means I have what I need, but now I've got some more. That's good. Well, now I'm getting a lot more. Oh, I'm getting some abundance. Now I'm getting a huge amount more. Now my life is abundant. And of course, it's not. How much are the things in your life worth? How much is your health worth to you? How much is the health of your child worth to you? If you could give everything you have to make your sick child well, would you even hesitate? Of course not. So when you think of abundance, you think of something that comes from fear, comes from a sense of lack, an inherent orientation of lack. In the animal world, no one hoards. There are animals that store because they hibernate for the winter, but that's not the same as insecurity and greed. Those are experiences of fear. So I wouldn't strive for an abundant life. I would strive for something that's more valuable, meaning, fulfillment, creativity, vitality, joy. When you give the gifts that you were born to give, then you're touching treasure. Not treasure. How can I say this? Nectar. That's the nectar of life. And you can't do it without other people because how can you give if there aren't other people to give to? And how can you really give if you have second agendas? Like, I'm going to give so I'll be joyful. No, the law of cause and effect doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get fooled by that. When you do something for your own benefit or to make yourself feel better or safer, that's the pursuit of external power. When you do it because your heart says, let's do that, then you go where only love can take you. Speaking of love, what's one thing that we can do for more love in the world and in our life? You cannot contribute more love to the world. You cannot contribute more love to the universe. The universe is love. What you can do is open your awareness to it. The only way that you can open your awareness to it is to become conscious of those parts of your personality that prevent your awareness of love. And those are the frightened parts, the angry, jealous, resentful, superior, inferior, obsessive, addicted, compulsive parts. Experience them fully. Use your volition to challenge them, to say to yourself, I will not look for sex again. I will not abuse another man or another woman. I will not go shopping again for something I don't need. I will not smoke again. I will not have another drink again to help me escape the pain. I will not gamble again. I will not squander my life being a workaholic or a perfectionist. I will recognize the pain that lies beneath that. I will have the courage to use my emotional awareness, feel the pain, and challenge it. I will feel the pain behind every judgment I have of others or myself, which are ultimately the same, and challenge that. That's the best answer I can give you. It's the only one I know. It's beautiful and such a beautiful way to round out this conversation. I could sit and talk with you for days. And I want to personally thank you for not only sharing your beautiful wisdom with us today, but for all the work that you do in the world and you and Linda, all the books, the programs, everything that you guys do. It's helping and serving so many people. So I would love to know how I and the listeners can serve you and give back to you. It's always a joy to me to discover someone who finds value 
and something that I've written or said. Because, by the way, none of the words that I've given you come from me. They all come from the universe. I am a participant in writing the books that I write. I put my name on it because without my commitment, without my thought, without my work, they wouldn't get written. But without the universe, they wouldn't get written. In other words, when I was writing my first book, which was a book about physics called The Dancing Wooly Masters, about quantum physics, I discovered in the process of writing that book that I was not alone. That's when I discovered it's not possible to be alone. So it's not possible to create alone. So everything I'm sharing with you is a co-creation. And I want to suggest that everything that you create is also a co-creation. And that as we become multi-sensory, you become aware of exactly this. Intuition is the voice of the non-physical world. As you create and you feel, you feel. Athletes call it the zone. Musicians call it the groove. The Greeks called it experiencing the muses. But we experience it as the soul. Wherever there is full satisfaction. If you want meaning in your life, If you want to align your personality with your soul, use meaning as your compass. Because as you're going in the direction that your soul wants to go, your life fills with meaning. And as you go in the opposite direction, it drains of meaning. And you're like Sisyphus in that myth, is a man who's condemned by the gods, we would say by his own actions, to roll a huge stone up a steep hill. And he gets it almost to the top, and he's almost done, and it slips away from him and rolls all the way down to the bottom. And for eternity, he goes back to the bottom and must push it up again. That's what your life is like when it's unconscious. And if I can share anything of the words that I've been given, I'm, I'm just delighted. It's a joy. And that's half the joy. The other joy is listening to you, is hearing what you have learned. Is hearing what your wisdom is because we're all becoming multi-sensory now. It used to be someone could sort of pull an ace by saying, "I oh, know I'm I've got a non-physical teacher, so this is the way it is." Now we've all got non-physical teachers, and we're all becoming aware of them. So how are we going to relate with one another with love, with patience, with openness? We're going to co-create instead of create. That's our future, and we are in the process as we create authentic power of making it our presence. I'm making it my present, present, presence and present. Your presence is always in the present moment. Meditators think of presence as being aware of the eternal, holy moment, but that is the presence with a capital P. All else that we strive for is awareness of that, and we can get it. Creating authentic power is doable. You can do it. You can do it in this lifetime. If you have the courage, if you have the commitment, if you have the compassion, if you have the willingness to use your conscious communications and actions. But don't take my word for it. Do it. Take this thing that we're calling authentic power and uh, twist it, bang on it, jump up and down on it. See if you can break it. You can, but try that for yourself. I'm Kane. I'm committed. I'm I'm ready. And I hope everyone <laughs> me listening. Too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And if you are ready as well, let's dive in and and do this together. I want to thank you, Gary, so much for being here and for sharing with us. This has been so beautiful and so much wisdom has just poured out of you. And like I said, I could just sit and listen to you for days. So thank you so much for being here and We will link to all of your amazing books and work in the show notes and your podcast, which I'm very excited about. So thank you so much. We will link to your podcast in the show notes as well. So thank you, Gary, for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Don't forget to head to comparisonitis.com to get your copy of my latest book and all the free goodies that go with it. I cannot wait for you to read it and to hear what you think. What a beautiful man. I want to sit with him and have dinner and just talk for hours and hours. So much wisdom and goodness comes from that beautiful human. I feel so inspired to live and lead with love. And I hope you do too. 
And if you got a lot out of this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for any new episodes. So please come and hit subscribe. And come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I love hearing from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.